This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and the Wangal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders past and present as well as to any First Nations people here tonight. To murder King Duncan or not to murder King Duncan? <laughs> that is the question. One thing's for sure, if it were done ten, when it is done, then twere well it were done quickly. But how can it be done at all? He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed, then as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door, not bear the knife myself. Besides, King Duncan seems like a pretty good bloke. <laughs> I haven't got one good reason to murder him. Although he is a terrible karaoke singer. <laughs> but is that a good enough reason to kill a king? Welcome to this very special live episode of Speak the Speech as we launch the third season of our podcast. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Andy from Just Macbeth, written and read by our guest this week. He is one of Australia's most popular children's authors. He's collaborated with illustrator Terry Denton on more than 30 best-selling books since their first title, Just Tricking, was published in 1997. In Australia, his books have sold over 10 million copies and won 80 Children's Choice Awards and 10 Australian Book Industry Awards, including Book of the Year for the 52-storey Treehouse in 2015. His much-loved Treehouse series is now published in more than 35 countries. Five of the books have been adapted for stage and have all had sell-out seasons at the Sydney Opera House, as well as highly successful tours through the Netherlands, New Zealand and America. For Bell Shakespeare, he wrote the smash hit Just Macbeth, which travelled to Edinburgh, where it won a Herald Angel Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And he's also a passionate advocate for literacy, and in 2015 was awarded the Dromkeen Medal to honour his outstanding contribution to Australian children's literature. He's also an ambassador for both the Indigenous Literacy Foundation and the Pajama Foundation. It's my great pleasure to welcome Andy Griffiths. Andy, welcome to Speak the Speech. Thank you very much. <laughs> Now, You'll probably notice that in none of those productions I, I was not acting. No, well, uh, it's not one of my talents. Andy, uh, I, I love that speech. I love it because it's, it, there, there's a seamless transition from Shakespeare to Griffiths and back again. And just the way that you, and the way that you pull in a bit of Hamlet at the start as well to murder King Duncan or not to murder King Duncan. Did I? Was, was that a mistake? <laughs> How, how do you do that? How do you take a Shakespeare speech and, and, and mix it with contemporary language in such a seamless way? Well, I knew my audience yep. were, were kids who might not have any um, previous experience of Shakespeare. So I had to make it clear to them. So I have to get it clear for myself mm. to boil it down. What are we saying here? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I do sort of in colloquial speech, say, so, yeah, should I murder this guy or not? I mean, yeah. I'm his host and I shouldn't do it. You know, that's not right. Yeah. Um, so then our, our intention with the play was to uh, almost hook them in with colloquial language and then as we went, just insert more and more mm. shakes of the original text. Mm. 
mm. but in context so they didn't even realise they were hearing it. Yeah, right, yeah. I guess that's for me when I'm, I'm watching a great production, I'm not aware that I'm listening to Shakespeare. Mm. Um, I'm mm. just understanding it in a yeah, artistic way. Absolutely. And, I mean, this is such a fascinating character, obviously, and we've done two seasons of this uh, podcast and we haven't yet come to this speech, so I'm really glad to be able to speak to you about it. This dilemma that Macbeth is having, he, he, he deals with us in real time. He's talking to the audience in real time and going through it. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? This is fascinating. Yeah, um, and I can, re I can relate to that dithering. Yes. Because um, <laughs> I'm a great ditherer. <laughs> and I know it makes great um, drama yeah. for the audience. And in the just books, I'm, I am talking directly to the reader the mm. whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm going, you know, get a load of this thing that's happening. I mean, should I do this? Should I not do this? Mm. Um, so I do consult with the um, audience. And that was a bridge into Shakespeare that mm. the uh, soliloquies are basically confiding in the audience. Yeah. Almost asking for their... Opinion very yeah. much, which is exactly what you were doing already in your in your books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now the character of Andy is the one who speaks this, and Andy was one of the stars from the Just series, all the way through. How is Andy like Macbeth for you? Well, Andy is actually very like me. Yes, to us. <laughs> when I began writing, I was always trying to write a third-person narrative, so about a character, mm -hmm. but it never felt real to me, and uh, and I felt that as a failing to begin with, mm. as I can't write believable fiction or that I can believe in. But when I put myself in as the main character and wrote in first person, mm. I could tell the most ridiculous things and get people to believe me. Right. Because I'm like, it's happening to me. Yes. Um, yep. So I just went, oh, in the, I was watching Seinfeld at the time. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, he's a character in his sitcom and mm -hmm. you know, he's, a, he's talking about the process of being a comedian. Yeah. So I'll be a character in my book. Mm -hmm. And I know this is not the right way to write and <laughs> I'd probably never be taken seriously as a writer but it's the only way I can get this to work so I'll just go with it and um, so so Andy is is me but unfiltered right right whatever comes into his head to do he'll he'll do it mm -hmm. with without thinking of the consequences mm. he'll just if he wants something in the moment he, he'll do it yeah he will dither a little bit mm. um you know, should, should I use the disabled person's toilet bathroom mm. or should I not? You know, well, if I don't, I'm going to be disabled. So maybe I'll get a hall pass and, you know. Yes, um, yes. So he will sometimes do that. But if he wants something, if he wants a day off school and wants to, uh, he thinks, well, I won't pretend I'm sick. I'll just pretend I'm dead. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, and that'll get me the whole year off school. What a yeah. brilliant person am I? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He doesn't know his parents are going to come in and pretend to think that he's dead and bury him in the backyard. Yeah, that's uh, right. His worst nightmare come true. So, um, so yeah, he, he does very ill-advised things that I wouldn't do in real life but mm -hmm. he's me off the leash. Yeah, yeah wow, okay. And, uh, well, obviously Macbeth at the end of this speech comes up comes to the conclusion that he's not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because Duncan is a good bloke, because everyone yep. will find out about it, because you don't, you, when, you, when your guest comes over to your house, you, you know, you, you don't kill them, you look after them. Yeah. So he actually does, Macbeth and Andy both come to the conclusion that they're not going to do it. So then what happens? Why does he do it? 
Well, yeah, I think he does. Gen- I think he's a good. He's a good bloke. Mm-hmm. Um, he he realizes it's not not the right time. They've got all their honours just heaped upon them now. Let's enjoy it while yeah. while we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think it's fair. Look, I'm going to blame Lady Macbeth. Okay, <laughs> but I don't know if that's quite fair because the first thing that he thinks of once he he gets the uh, it's uh, Cordor mm. is he thinks oh. This this gets me so close to being the king. Yeah, that ambition kicks in. Like right? he states mm. it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I, it, well, he doesn't state it to himself because mm. he's he's still unknown to himself at that point. Mm. But yeah, it's there, and then he manages to talk himself out of it rationally, mm. and then I think he comes home to Lady Macbeth, who yeah, come on, yeah, pushes him that extra. Let's do it, that and extra. that's that's a feature of Andy in the Just Books is if Danny, his best friend, dares him to do something, he will. Well, I better do it because yeah. I lose face otherwise. Right, right. Yes. And if he's if he's trying to impress his girlfriend Lisa, mm. he'll do anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so again, there were these spooky parallels. Yeah. That, yeah. That yeah. He wants to win win her love. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. You want me to kill a king? I'll kill a king. But how about the do you do you not the, do you blame the witches at all who gave him the prophecy and told him, well one day you, you're going to become king that planted the seed in his head? Yeah, I don't think that helped. Yeah. I think that was <laughs> that was an unfortunate uh, it, because it pushes. Yeah, may, it just keeps him thinking. Maybe if I just took the shortest way here, mm. they're saying I can, and my wife wants me to, and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. Maybe that's right. No, I really feel for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he makes the wrong decision mm. But mm. for the right reasons, I think. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. So, Andy, you wrote this uh, play, Just Macbeth. Now we're going back about um, 12 or 13 years ago or maybe more, 13 or 14 years ago. 2008 is when it had its first production but uh-huh. we were working on it from 2004. Right, 2005. right. And I know Jill Perkins, uh, who is now the executive director of, of Bell Shakespeare, she was around then and she heard an interview and, and heard how much you liked Macbeth on an interview and just kind of cold called you out of the blue and said, look, I think you should... Uh, you, you should adapt a Shakespeare for us. And I believe her first idea was why don't you do a version of A Midsummer Night's Dream because it's got bottom in it and then you were doing, you know, The Day My Bum Went Psycho and, and those kind of books and and she thought that might be a good fit. But you weren't keen on that. No, because I'd done The Day My Bum Went Psycho yeah. in 2001. <laughs> I, was, it was, I was stirring up the pot just yeah. seeing what I could get away with. Yes, yeah. How much I could annoy everyone. Yep. Um, and then I wrote the sequel, Zombie B- Bums from Uranus. Yeah, good, um, good. Yeah. And then, believe it or not, there was a third title, Bumageddon, the Bum. final pong flick <laughs> that had to be written. And I gained a lot of notoriety from that and a lot of pleasure out of it. Yep. But I was then tagged as the bum guy. Mm, you know, mm. It's a fairly predictable kind of outcome. Okay. And I was keen to, to sort of go, look, I, actually I don't find bum humour that funny but I find it really funny that my audience finds it funny <laughs> and that you can just say it over and over again so mm. if you like the word so much I'll write an action thriller right. with bums as the, the, the villains yes, and yes. we'll just say it I think uh, I think someone counted 1273 times Amazing. Yeah. in a yeah. 50,000 word novel <laughs> um, 
So I was keen to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And and when Jill wrote and said, you know, Bell Shakespeare's interests, I was like, here's my chance for respectability. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely not uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and Bottom then, um, but you you chose the Scottish play. And you've had a long history with this play. You've liked it for a long time. How did that start? Uh, that was in year 11. Uh, our genius, Mr. Our genius English teacher, Mr. Bechevez, took us to see the Roman Polanski version of Macbeth. Yep. And that got my attention like anything. Mm. It was so visceral, so violent, so real. Mm. Um, and again, I'd, I had no sense that I was watching, was listening to Shakespearean language. Yeah, yeah. Right in there. Um, the witches in that production are so fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It's like a horror movie. It's, yep. it's exactly what you need when you're 17 years old. Yeah. You've been brought up on um, um, comics and and mm. movies and, and literature, of course. But, um, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And then I was lucky enough to study it again in year 12. Mm. And then first year university, um, oh, yeah. we studied it again. Yep. So I was, you were, back in those days, you could have given me any word, any line from the play. I could tell you exactly where it was. Yeah, wow, yeah. So it went in deep. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, you know, you you are now talking about a violent, uh, horrifying, almost horror film type of a play. How, How is that fertile ground for comedy? Well, comedy works on tension. Mm. You rise the tension of the audience with your setup, and you, you get everyone leaning forward. <gasps> this is terrible. And then with uh, the punchline of a joke is you pull the, the carpet out from under the audience's mm-hmm. feet, mm-hmm. and and the tension is suddenly released yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Um, and that causes a laugh of, oh, it's yeah. almost relief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we thought it was this one thing but now you've gone somewhere else. Mm. So to me it's natural to start off with a, um, a, a tense situation, mm. build the tension up and then pull the rug out from the audience's feet. So it was all there for me. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And it was a challenge which I also need. To get me excited. Yeah, of um, course. Absolutely. Can I, can I turn Macbeth into a fun night out for the whole family? Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun and laughter. Um, so that. Well, you certainly did. It was a big hit in Sydney and Melbourne, and then it went to Edinburgh. Would you go, did you go to Scotland when it, when it went over there? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think things were just too busy and tight yeah, at sure. the time. But it was a big hit over there. It won, yeah. uh, won an award, uh, came back. You know, I would love to see another production of it, and you just did. You saw uh, another production of it in the park. So a, a group in Melbourne did a did yeah. production. How the, was that? The group called In the Park Productions yeah. up yeah. in Eltham and Diamond Creek, and I saw two of two productions in two on two different ovals yeah. as the sun was setting, and yeah. it was just fantastic. It reminded me of seeing a performance at the Globe, mm-hmm. uh, Titus Andronicus. Uh, oh, Andronicus, wow. I think. <laughs> um, and that was felt like being half at the football. Mm. Uh, you got the sense there were the, the groundlings, people standing and and people yelling and the, uh, the audience, the actors coming through the stage, uh, through the audience, through the sorry, audience, yeah. to the stage mm-hmm. and smoke and chaos. Um, yeah, right, yeah. And that was a revelation and so... 
being out under the stars with the trees and mm. uh, and the kids were very vocal. They were challenging and yep. taking the bait that the audience was throwing them. And yeah, great. Arguing and mm. you did kill the king. Yeah, no, right. I didn't? No, yeah. I never. Um, but it was, yeah, amazing to see it after so long. Yeah. And they were very faithful to the original production. Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, I was really quite impressed. Um, That's great. And then there's another production coming up in Sydney next week, which I think you're also going to go see, which is um, done by the Arts Unit of the Department of Education. Um, so 12 to 17-year-olds will be in the cast there. So that's going to be fun as well. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see what they do. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a dream come true really that, mm, mm. that the play has lived on. Yeah. And, um, but what was it like in those early days with, with Bell Shakespeare You'd written the script and then Wayne Harrison, the director, and Pip Runciman, the designer, and the whole team putting it together. What was that experience like, seeing that come to life? Uh, that was one of the best weeks of myself and my wife, Jill, mm -hmm. who's in the audience. Um, that was one of our favourite creative weeks of all time yeah. because we just got to sit in the audience, watch the, the actors walking through each scene, mm -hmm and uh, realising that we'd written too much dialogue or someone was just standing there. Yep. So what am I supposed to do? Okay. Um, we don't know. We're yeah. <laughs> but we found out pretty quick. And then the actors would improvise things too. Mm -hmm. They'd do funny things and I think uh, Macbeth turns to Banquo at one point and says, how do, how do I kill the king or how do I kill this, this murderous soldier who's running at me? Mm -hmm. And um, how Banquo... Uh, said like that and Macbeth's going, what? Squirrel grip. Squirrel grip, right. <laughs> so that got written into the play because we thought it was so funny. So he improvised it, then you put it in yeah. the, in the yep. production. And yep. so by the end of the week we had what we felt was a pretty great script because mm -hmm. we'd go home each night and rewrite it. Um, yeah, wow. Rewrite the scene till midnight mm -hmm. and then it started the next day. So, yeah, yeah but it was a, it was a really tough the thing to write, it took three or four years of yeah, stop-start sure. mm -hmm. where we'd just give up in defeat, you know, we'd wow. think, okay, this is going along pretty well, it's pretty funny, you know, mm. he's killed Banquo, that's a laugh mm. and he's, no, he missed his son. But, um, but how, do you, how do you deal with Macduff, um, uh, the, the slaughtering of his wife and his kids? You know, that's yeah. not funny. Not as no funny. No matter no. which, no. <laughs> not as funny. It's not funny no matter <laughs> which way you look at it. <laughs> But I had a story called Kittens, Puppies and Ponies. Oh, boy. Where Andy was trying to win a short story competition and he wrote a very sweet story about kittens, puppies and ponies <laughs> and they all went around hugging everyone and <laughs> it was, they lived in Lovelyville. And he thought this is what the judges wanted but he failed to win the, um, right. the competition. So then he rewrites it in a fit of anger. And the kittens, puppies and ponies get chucked into a giant mashing and pulverising machine <laughs> and the blood comes out and they had to rename it Bloodyville. Yes. And, yep. and then he's reading this to his friend Danny and his girlfriend comes in, Lisa, mm -hmm. who overhears him reading it. Mm. And, he, and Danny's trying to signal, shut up, shut up, yep. shut up. Because yep. this is why he wanted to win the competition because Lisa... Loves writers. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and so Danny's saying, shut up, shut up. And then he turns and Lisa says, she's in tears. And she says, who wrote that? Mm -hmm. And Andy says, Danny wrote it. And she says, Danny, that was the most beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> we should get to know each other. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they, whatever Andy does, the rule is it's going to backfire on him. Yes. 
you know, he can be, do the horrible thing but it's going to play worse for him than anyone else. Yeah, right. Which, of course, is what happens with Macbeth. Yep, uh, for sure. He discovers why you shouldn't murder people. Yeah, yeah. Because things get more complicated and you have to murder more and more people. So, <laughs> so those, these were sort of creative roadblocks and mm-hmm. uh, Jill and uh, Marion Potts, uh, I think they both had... Um, they went off to have babies. Right. And every time they did, I go, great, they'll probably forget about us now. We oh, okay. Put this away and forget <laughs> we ever tried. No, but they wanted it. Anyway, eventually it, it was written. Oh, sorry, I should just finish that story saying that's how we got Macbeth to Macduff to be funny. Right. They don't murder his um, kids and family. They just murder his kittens, puppies and ponies because <laughs> he doesn't have a family. And so then it becomes so ridiculous that right. you have to laugh. Yeah, and sure, sure. After Just Macbeth, Andy, um, the, you started with the Treehouse uh, series and this has now become an international phenomenon. You're up to book 12 in the Treehouse series now, the 143-storey Treehouse. It uh, started with the 13-storey Treehouse. One thing it's done for kids is... Help them learn their thirteen times table, which um, they, yep. which they don't, which they don't learn at school. They only learn up to twelve. <laughs> but because of you, they know their thirteen as well. Um, you've got the one hundred and fifty six story treehouse coming out uh, later later this year. Now, I've heard you say before that because of the process of Just Macbeth, the treehouse series was born. How, how did that work? Well, after the play came out, our publisher, Claire Craig, was was very enthused about it and she said, that would be great in a book. Mm. And I said, yes, but it's a play script and it's, you know, how are we going to make that play on the page? Yep. Um, and she said, you can figure it out. I've got faith. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I sat down with Terry and said, we need to sort of somehow make up for the fact we haven't got actors and sets and perhaps you could do a bit more... Um, uh, drawing because in the just books he his role is just to go up and down the edges of the right, book and right. do a mad magazine style yep. random commentary mm-hmm. but in this one we started using him I said okay when Andy's going to kill the king we'll have him walking up the steps sure. and yeah. um, so most of those pages that you're showing us now are just illustrations. This is just illustrations, Andy walking up the steps to kill the king, yep. but the steps keep changing directions yeah. and so it becomes a Chaplin-esque kind of Buster Keaton, mm-hmm. you know, ridiculous trip. And yep. then he finally does kill the king, but there's we're not saying that because my readers could be seven, eight years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have nightmares. Um, <laughs> although there is a, just a black splat. But once, once <laughs> I'd done that, I thought, gee, I didn't need to write anything there. Mm. I could write a book where Terry does most of the work. Oh, good. <laughs> and I just like goof off. Um, so Treehouse came out of that mm. uh, because this was quite well received and the war of the gnomes, you know, just became whole page spreads. Wow. So we'd never kind of thought about that before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a definite bridge Terrific. to a, a 50-50 production. Well, the the Treehouse series obviously, you know, has been um, in, in over 35 countries around the world. It's a... It's a it's a huge success for you and for, for Pan Macmillan and, and your publishing partners around the world. But uh, 
is there an end point <laughs> or will it just continue on to sort of, you know, the 1300 story tree? This has been the question, to, <laughs> to end or not to end? That's right, uh, will you? <laughs> I think it's become pretty clear to me at this point. I've just finished the 13th book right. um, and I think we're done. Yeah, that's it. So scoop for your podcast. Wow. Okay, so that's it. The hundred and sixty-nine story. Hundred and sixty-nine. Yes, because we started ran accidentally with thirteen levels. I yes. said to Terry, "Can you draw me a, a, a wild treehouse with a bowling alley and a mm. tank full of man-eating sharks and yep. marshmallow machine? Anything else you can think?" And he drew <laughs> this beautiful thirteen-story um, wonderland. Mm. And I was like, that's amazing. That's the treehouse I've always wanted. Mm. Let's write about us living in this treehouse yeah, and yeah. trying to write a book. But we're too distracted by all this stuff. Yep. So we did that and then the kids loved it. They loved the highly visual mm. presentation that we were in it. Andy Andy is still in it and yes. with his friend Terry now. And mm -hmm. his, uh, it's not a love, love interest. Jill is, mm -hmm. is in there. But yeah, yeah. it's basically the same triangle yep. of characters. Um, yeah, and so the, the kids said, we want another one. Mm, so I mm, said, mm. okay, well, we'll do the 14-storey treehouse. <laughs> Terry said, that's a bit mean. No. <laughs> we'll double it, 26. 26. And at the 26, I said, so we'll double it again? Mm -hmm. He goes, no, that's too much drawing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll just go 13s. So okay. Each book has 13 chapters, mm -hmm. 13 new levels, 13 flying cats. Everything's in 13, so yeah, there's right. a poetic reason to stop. Yeah, 13. it feels right. And, a, and a, another reason is I've run out of ideas. <laughs> well, I haven't run out of ideas, but they keep nothing we haven't already done. Yeah, That's a right. rule with, that I have with kids and really with anyone, is not to do the same old thing because sure. that's when the reader starts going, eh, I think I've seen this. Mm -hmm. I'll move on now. Yeah, sure. That's sure. my mortal fear. Yeah. I don't want my readers to move on. Yeah. You're listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm James Evans and my special guest today, Andy Griffiths. Now, Andy, when did you first encounter Shakespeare in your life? Was it that year 11 time when you, when you watched the film or, or was it before that? Was it another teacher? No, it would have been Julius Caesar oh, yeah. in year eight. Mm -hmm. um, How'd you go with that? Not great? It was okay. Yeah. It, yeah, it didn't grab me emotionally, um, mm -hmm. made my way through it. But yeah. yeah, and then I think we did Midsummer Night's Dream the yeah, next right. year. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was mildly amused but not, yeah. <laughs> not rolling on the floor laughing okay. by any means. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it was it was Macbeth that turned my head mm, mm, all absolutely. of a sudden. Yeah, and now also I think you like Hamlet too because you just came to our production of Hamlet on our opening night in Melbourne <laughs> uh, recently, and and I've heard that you quite enjoyed the play after seeing that. You've had some arguments with Jill, your wife, about what's better, Hamlet or Macbeth, and perhaps you're coming round to Hamlet. Is that right? Look, I could be. I don't know what it is, whether your production was so good <laughs> uh, or I'm just growing up or something's changed. But... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd never. I'd, we did try subsequently to adapt Hamlet for. We were going to try and do a just Hamlet. Oh, a just Hamlet, right? Yeah, we did do a just Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um, Hamlet defeated me. I just could not find a way to boil it down to a simple through line. Right. Like Macbeth is my sort of pitch to the kids was you know when you've done something wrong, you've and then you try to cover it up, but mm -hmm. you make it worse. 
this is Macbeth. It's the yeah. guilt and the the and the escalating chaos that comes mm. from from that one initial misdeed. But I couldn't do that with Hamlet. And then there was all the stuff about marrying his his um, uncle, and I thought I can't. Kids aren't going to make enough of that. Okay. And, okay. And I was a bit sceptical about old Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, yeah, okay. I like my villains to be tortured right from the, <laughs> the whole way through. He's tortured. Yeah. Whereas Hamlet keeps changing. Oh, I'll do this and yep. I'm tortured. Oh, now I'm going to be very witty. Um, <laughs> so it just didn't ring true. But yeah, the other night I just was, wow. And at halftime, halftime, yeah. football. <laughs> Now that's a joke from the Treehouse. Our, our publisher, Mr. Big Nose, goes to the opera, mm-hmm. and they have to mind his grandchildren which, right. in the Treehouse, which is a terrible combination. And then his wife, Mrs. Big Nose, rings up from the opera. It's half time at the opera. Right. Yeah. I'm just checking on the kids. <laughs> they think they're at the. <laughs> you floor. know where yeah. they are. Yeah. That's right. Um, but at intermission, I uh, said to Pete Evans, "You know, I've always been a bit of a Hamlet skeptic." Yeah. And he said. I'll never forget this. The very best people are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that line should go in the play, I think. That's now. great. Yeah. That's great. So what do you but, reckon? Just Hamlet now? Maybe. Oh, yeah. It, I, I did fleetingly think of it, yes. Mm. But, no, I loved it. It was, it was I, I got it. But you also, you also were drawing some parallels between Hamlet and Macbeth, which I thought was really interesting as well. What did you find that was similar about those? Well, there starts with a ghost, mm. obviously, and, and I thought, well, it's got this supernatural, the witches and, yep. and the ghost. Does Hamlet really see the ghost or is this a you know, figment of his imagination? Yeah. Did, yeah. did Macbeth really? Well, he saw the witches, I guess, but he doesn't, he may not see the, the dagger. Yes. Uh, that could be a, as he says, you'll know the line better than I do, a painted um, fragment. Vision, yeah. Vision. Sense, are they sensible to feeling as to sight? Yeah. Thank or you. art thou but a dagger of the mind? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Banquo's appearance at the, at the table is mm. similarly ambiguous. Yeah. Um, so there was that. There's Hamlet's indecision, mm. which um, is is a big um, component of Macbeth. Yeah. Um, what else was there? There's the um, the supernatural, the indecision, the killing the king. Yes, yeah, it was a yeah. fairly obvious yeah. parallel, yeah. Um, and also the the um, constant references to appearances. Mm-hmm. Like he's obsessed with how to, I've got to appear this way, right? And and his direction of the play. Mm. Um, mm. I want you. I want it to appear like this, right. and. Yeah. You know, don't not too much acting, and that was one of my favourite parts of the production the other night. I thought mm. this is so modern. You know, the the players where they say they can play historical, tragical, yes, tragical, yeah. com- comical, yep. and yep. it's wow. It's like Shakespeare knew this four hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, so. and also Hamlet is obsessed with the power of acting and the power of art, really, to transform people. He thinks. If I can just put this play on, I'm going to reveal Claudius's soul. I'm going to I'm going to draw something out of him, uh, almost involuntarily. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think that's um, partly what artists do, is they draw things out of people that perhaps they don't even want to have drawn out of them. Yeah, yeah, and it's that scheming thing too. Mm -hmm. I've got this great plan, you know, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go Um, wrong, yeah. But do you think those elements, what do you, why are they the same? Are they just great theatrical devices that he was into at that time? Because they would have been written fairly closely together. Yeah, they would have. So Hamlet would have been written around kind of 1600, um, right there in the middle, just after they moved to the Globe Theatre. And then Macbeth is a little bit later. It's five or six years later. So so in between Hamlet and Macbeth is a change of leader. So Queen Elizabeth is, is on the throne when Hamlet's uh, written and then King James, who's a much kind of, it's a much darker world when King James comes onto the throne. He's obsessed with witches. He he uh, writes a book called Demonology. One of the first things he does as king is is make a law that you know we have to all believe in witches and we have to eliminate them. So you know there was a kind of madness uh, um, right. in the kingdom at the time, and uh, which I think Shakespeare taps into there. Um, but the interesting thing about the ghost in Hamlet is that apparently it's the first time ever a ghost appears on stage that is seen by one character but not by another. Do you know what I mean? Like when the ghost comes into Gertrude's um, bedroom, Hamlet can see him but Gertrude can't see him and apparently that had never been done before. And then, of course, once you get to Macbeth, you know, that's that's, uh, the MO, you know. The ghost turns up and only it's just targeted, you know. Um, So Shakespeare kind of invents that and then starts to play with it and, and, Mm. um, and throw it around. Yeah, and the the sort of Freudian the the guilt yes. appearing in physical form mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is that the first time that appeared in plays, or is that just part of? Well, that's a good question. Going back to the forever. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Certainly, um, Shakespeare is an innovator in terms of um, the the inner world of a character. I think before that, most of the characters before Shakespeare's time are kind of either goodies or baddies and, you know, and, right. and if, if they're going to revenge, they do it with not much remorse and they get it done, you know, whereas Hamlet all of a sudden feels guilt, you know. He knows that he should revenge but also he knows that it's wrong. So those two things are in tension with each other. Yeah, and I think that's why I feel so much for Macbeth because mm. he knew the right thing to do yeah, early right. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. he's, yeah. He's just trying to make it right. Yeah, yeah. sure. But yeah. you realise he can never make it right. And no. I really, yeah, yeah, feel for that character. Absolutely. So your collaboration with Bell Shakespeare obviously continued. You did Just Macbeth, but you'd also written a piece, um, just, a, just a, a snippet of Romeo and Juliet in your Just Doomed book. Uh, that was picked up then by Joe Erskine, our wonderful head of education, who wrote an adaptation called Just Romeo and Juliet and that went into schools. Um, What was that like when you actually... Did you go into the schools and and watch that performance unfold with the kids, in front of the kids? Uh, Yeah, I have seen a couple of performances. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really fun too because I turned it into a bit of a sitcom where he's trying to... Uh, get the, uh, his girlfriend or the girl he would like to be his girlfriend, Lisa, mm-hmm. is, has got the play a part of, Ro- of Juliet. Yep. So he's trying to get the part of Romeo so that he can get on stage and, and he'll be able to kiss her. Yeah, right. That's yeah. His, <laughs> his one goal. Um, uh-huh. 
But then I think Lisa falls ill and Danny, his best friend, gets the role of Juliet. Yes, yes. It's quite legitimate <laughs> in Shakespeare's time. <laughs> sure. Played, men played women. Yeah. Um, and then he has to try to get out of the play. Right, uh, right. Yeah. I think he's trying to lick a gutter at one point to make himself ill enough. Oh, I see. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Goes down and dirty. But yep. yeah, so, so that one translated quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was terrific. Um, although maybe he could just uh, expose himself to uh, to COVID now, and then that would be That's, he'd be out for a week, and that would, that would yeah. be a dream. Yes. Um, so you know, one one of the things I love about the way you work, Andy, is that you're very collaborative. Uh, often we relate this to to uh, the theatrical um, way of working, which is quite collaborative. Director, actor, designers—they all work together. Um, but often we think of being an author as being a, a solo pursuit. But over the, the years, I mean, obviously Terry Denton is is the main one, your collaborator, the illustrator, but also Jill, your wife, who's a wonderful writer and editor. Um, you rely on each other so much in terms of collaboration, as well as your pub- publisher, Claire Craig at PanMac. So why is that important to you as a writer? Um, I think the storyteller in me has always enjoyed an audience and yep. that goes right back to when I was a kid and we had a lot of kids running around the streets mm. in uh, Vermont, out in the eastern suburbs, new housing estate, yep. no, no internet, so you were out in the street just getting up to mischief, sure. telling kids ridiculous things and try, seeing to get if you could get them to believe it. That was <laughs> such a fun game for me. Great. They go, no, that can't be true and I go, yeah. Yeah, I was a bit, I was attacked by a shark in the bath today. <laughs> no. Nah. Well, then what's this cut on my hand? <laughs> really? And so that's the beginning of it for me. Yeah. How much can you get away with? And you're improvising. Mm. The more they challenge you, mm. you're improvising on the spot to to make it real. Mm. And um, and at a certain point, we all realise it's a game, and they go, "No, it's that's that didn't happen." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, just watch out for your bath tonight. <laughs> um, so that was natural. So when I started writing, as I said, I was Andy and I was talking to the the audience and I realised the, the difference between theatre and a page is you do have your audience in front of you mm. and you can see if they're reacting, you can hear how the play's going down. Mm. On a page you don't have the audience in front of you. You have to imagine them. So that's writing is a degree. I'm not saying it's more difficult than (laughs) theatre because there's nothing more difficult than acting for me. (laughs) But um, it's it's a it's a difficulty, and so I rely on editors and other people to tell me, am I getting it right? right. Is what I'm thinking I'm writing coming across to you? Mm. And Jill was really the first. Uh, she was the first editor on the first book, yes. Just Tricking, mm-hmm. and she understood it and she could improve it. And I yeah. was like, wow, yeah. this is great. Mm-hmm. So she got it all humming, added jokes, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is, I don't know how I'm going to write without you now. Yeah, sure. We'll have to get together and get married. <laughs> uh, that was actually a much slower process, <laughs> a much more tentative one because okay. we had this great professional relationship mm. And then Terry came into it Mm. and at first he was just on the edges Mm. but the more he did, the more I started 
uh, giving him helpful suggestions. Yeah, yeah. And that was a fun process. And then I said, we should meet every week mm. and just do a book together. Yeah. So I haven't thought it up yet. We're just thinking it up together. Yeah, yeah. And so that was what led to, to his, his being a, a vital part of the collaboration. And now I can't imagine writing. Like I'm a script writer for Terry now. Yeah, right, uh, right, yeah. Because I don't have to describe it. Mm. So look, check out our 143-storey treehouse. Terry, just draw a 143-storey treehouse on this double page. Okay. Done. <laughs> Done. And that allows the reader to inhale the whole world mm. without, um, without having to plough through hundreds of words, yeah, yeah. which is tough when you're learning to read. Sure, yeah. Which is, which is, thank you for the segue, because your commitment to literacy and literacy programs has been noted many, many times. Uh, you've been a published writer for over 25 years and this is something you're really passionate about. What have you noticed over that time? Is, is literacy getting better in Australia? Is it getting worse among kids? What's happening? Well, it's really interesting. I, I became an English teacher briefly for a few years at the end of the 80s mm -hmm. and my classes hated reading right. this was you know up in Mildura they just were totally um hadn't they hadn't had good experiences with books yep. they were into um computer games and television and wild movies mm -hmm. and the books seemed very tame and a bit messagey at right. that stage yep. and I was like why is no one writing funny books for kids yeah, because right. this is what they want because mm -hmm. I'd take them into the library and They'd, they'd go, yeah, this is boring. Mm. And they'd look through the book, oh, it's print's too small. Yeah, right. I don't want that one. Mm. So that's why I said to Terry, put little flick pictures on the corners. Yeah. So when they're flicking, they'll start playing with the book. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't trust those kids to read mm. for a second. I thought, you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so now I think since the mid-90s, then you had Captain Underpants, J.K. Rowling came yes. on the scene. Sure. Yep. Um, lots of people mm -hmm. um, just telling stories for pure fun. Mm, mm. And I think we've got more kids reading now mm. than there ever was back in the, the good old days. Yeah, great. When yeah. I had a choice of Enid Blyton or Enid Blyton. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or Enid Blyton will do. She yep. wrote everything. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's people doing so many books. So I'm sceptical of the idea kids are not reading. Mm. They're certainly writing more. I mean, I was a freak at primary school because I had an Underwood typewriter and I could type. Okay, yeah. I loved that typewriter. But now I, I look with satisfaction all the kids, mm -hmm. well, doing that. Yes, on the phone, <laughs> yeah, one finger. <laughs> yeah, um, one finger. So, yeah, it's, okay. it's a battle. There's always uh, the lure of screen is that it's, it's all kind of done for you. Yes. And that collaborative thing that I'm talking about is I think with theatre and books... I think they're very similar because you are trusting the audience, you're inviting them into a game. Mm. Let's pretend this is real. Yep. We know the sets and the actors are not real, yep. but if we pretend, it can be incredibly compelling. Yeah. Same with books. Um, and yep, there's we all a, suspend our disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an extra reward for that participatory mm -hmm. thing. You're still participating in a film, but a lot of the decisions have been made. And right. So right. Yeah. yeah, I think with books and I notice with, with our readers, you form a very intense personal relationship mm. Mm. with the author. And yeah, absolutely. They write to me as if I'm their friend mm. Mm. and I am. Mm. Um, 
not just not I'm just not the age they think I am. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's right. they think you're twelve, don't they? That was the best compliment I ever got. A kid was quite distressed at, at a signing. His, I heard him say to his mother, "But he's an old man." <laughs> <laughs> it's like he lied to me. <laughs> oh, Andy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you this evening. Absolutely wonderful. Now, before we go, we always have this segment called the Final Five. I got five quick questions for you. Need five quick answers. Okay, here we go. Number one, are you the lover, the villain, or the fool? Uh, I'm happy to take the uh, role of fool any time. Sure, sure. Thought so. A lot of comfort in that. What is your most underrated Shakespeare play? What's one we should be uh, looking at more now? Um, Well, I've always, you know, I've just loved Macbeth so much Mm -hmm. and I've had to put up with a lifetime of people saying Hamlet is the greatest play ever. (laughs) Though I still think Macbeth is underrated. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) Nice. I like that. Although now I'm changing, you know. I'm in a very difficult position because, you know, I I, um, loved Alice Cooper in the 70s, Mm. the shock rock guy and then I've come to realise David Bowie was... Oh, okay. Maybe the greater artist. Right, right. <laughs> I, I backed the wrong horse there, so I'm, I'm a bit worried I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, who's your favourite artist that you'd love to work with who you haven't worked with already? Um, there's constant talk. I've been lucky enough to meet Jeff Kenny, uh, the author of The uh, Diary of a Wimpy the Kid. Wimpy Kid, yeah. Uh, uh, like amazing book. And uh, we've often talked about a collaboration, but mm. we're both so busy um, that I cannot see how it would happen. Yeah. But he's also, he doesn't need me because he writes and draws. He's mm. this very rare creature right, who right. can write and draw really well. But uh, your you powers sh- combined would be amazing. No, he doesn't need me. Well, <laughs> maybe he does, but... Um, but you very can come f- up with a story together, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that might happen. That would be a dream. That would be amazing. What is a Shakespeare role that you would love to play? You said that you're not an actor, but if you were, what's your role? Um, I'll take Macbeth. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm already half there. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, if you weren't a writer, Andy, what would you be doing? Um, in the course of uh, presenting to kids, I've had to learn a lot of stand-up comedy mm. techniques and mm. learned how to really rev a group up so they're just bouncing off the walls. Yep. That's yep. very pleasant. So I'd probably be a stand-up comedian. Wow, that'll be great. Yep. Andy, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Andy Griffiths, friends, Andy Griffiths. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.